Hello and welcome to this edition of our AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, along with my AWS co-hosts from around the world, we'll act as your ambassadors to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS Solutions Architecture prototyping teams. Every episode, we provide you with a roadmap to innovation in technology solutions. We're so glad you joined us on this journey. On this episode of Innovation Ambassadors, we're showcasing the journey of UCSD Health and their use of cloud technology in their clinical decision support systems to personalize patient care and improve outcomes for patients with acute kidney injury. I'm excited to welcome to the studio Dr. Ravi Mehta, Professor of Nephrology at the University of California, San Diego and founder of DACOS. Thanks for being with us, Ravi. Thank you, Sarah. It's really a privilege. And joining us from AWS, we have Edward Sama Casanovas, Senior Product Manager from our Envision Engineering prototyping team. Always great to chat with you, Edward. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here. So, Ravi, most of our listeners would have heard of the University of California, San Diego, UCSD, but they might not be aware of some of the research that goes on in nephrology and the work that you're doing with DACOS. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? Yes, Sarah. So I have been at UCSD since 1988 and was on the full-time faculty. And one of my areas of interest has been uh, looking at uh, patients who are in the intensive care unit who have a change in the kidney function, which we call acute kidney injury. This is a very common problem where people who come into the ICU, a significant number of them will have multi-organ failure. Amongst them, the kidney fails, and then they require dialysis. We spend almost 5 to $10 billion a year on these patients. And unfortunately, we've not been able to make much progress in uh, the outcomes because about 50% of them will die in the hospital. And then they also have long-term difficulties. So I have been focusing on that group of patients and I have been very fortunate with the support of uh, UCSD to actually develop some models which are part of DACOS. So I had submitted a patent application on this through UCSD and started a startup, which is digital algorithms for extracorporeal organ support. That's a mouthful, so it's easier to say DACOS. And uh, (laughs) so basically that's what has led me to this association with the AWS team. The mission there is to apply the knowledge, learning, experience, not only of your clinicians and researchers, but the data and outcomes for patients themselves and try to do both predictive and prescriptive help for clinicians. Is that right? Yes. So one of the bigger challenges is that when you have uh, patients in the ICU and they require any form of external support, whether it be a ventilator or a dialysis machine or a heart support machine, the clinician has to decide what is the optimal time that a patient should come on this machine and what's the optimal time that they don't need it anymore. So the first question essentially becomes, does the patient need to be on an external support? And then if they do, when should it be started? And then if it's continued, when should it be stopped? Most clinicians have indications for when these external devices need to be put on. But in the field of kidney disease and acute kidney injury, 
there is wide variation on how these devices are applied and at what time point. And despite multiple trials in this, we don't have a real good feel for how to manage them. So to a large extent, it is left to individual physicians and settings to make that decision. So this has been a problem I've been dealing with over the last 12 to 15 years. And I thought that there may be a better way for us to utilize the information we get from the patients and put them together in an, into an integrated model, which could be dynamically applied and could then help physicians understand or guide them with a clinical decision support system. So that was sort of the premise. And what we've done is essentially base this on a very simple construct. At any given point in time, every organ has a finite capacity and we have a certain amount of demand being placed on the organ. In health, the demand and the capacity are matched so that you can go about doing your business without any problem. But when you are sick, the demand sometimes overwhelms the capacity of the organ. So what we've done is simply say, is, okay, can we map the mismatch of demand and capacity on a dynamic basis and use that as a guidance for clinicians to recognize now is the time to intervene with an external support to beef up the capacity. One of the big questions that came up is, okay, I have this model, how do I actually utilize it and implement it, given that the electronic health records are now ubiquitous and quite available, at least in you know the US and in large parts of the world. Mike Hogarth, who is the CIO of our uh, Clinical Trials uh, Research Institute, the ACTRI at UCSD, told me that their, the AWS engineering team had an opportunity to look at projects. Well, Edward, take us a little bit from there. This is an important system, of course, you're working on about really improving patient care and ultimately saving people's lives, right? So tell us a little bit about how you approached the prototype and the engagement with Ravi and his team. The first thing we normally do, and, and that's what we did with Ravi, was to start with working backwards from the challenge they, they were facing. To be able to understand this challenge and to be able to gather all the requirements that we needed, we ran a two-day workshop virtually. After this was done and we had a clear idea of the scope and the goals that we wanted to achieve, we sat down with the team, uh, with the developers and data scientists that we have in the team, and we ran a two-week design session trying to come up with the best optimal solution so that we could help Ravi and his team to achieve the goals. And I'm imagining, Ravi, for you that you talked about having an extensible system, didn't you? The one that was agnostic to the different electronic health systems that are already extant and that could be extended and elastic to grow and scale and complexity. Yes, and I think so. The, one of the most fundamental aspects here was that how do we take a model which is not a machine learning model, but has to still get data from electronic health records. But I wanted to make sure that we were not limited to a particular type of electronic health record, given that not everybody uses the same thing, but yes, I wanted to have the universality of that model being applied across different systems. So that was the first request to the AWS team is, give us something that can get to this data. And we only have about 20 variables. And take that information and then present it through the model and then give the user an output that the clinician can use. 
One of the things which obviously came up to this is that there we would have a different set of users who would use the same output. There would be physicians who would look at it with respect to decision-making, and then there would be other people who would actually carry out the orders based upon the physician, and there would be other people who would be tracking it for different purposes. And then there was this in-between thing that the AWS team was going to make, that it would take information from one end and put it out the other end so that it would make sense. So that was sort of the challenge to them. So take us through the architecture, Edward. What were some of the key services that we used and how did you architect the system to achieve the needs of Robbie's team? First of all, we decided that we wanted to build an API-driven architecture, serverless, so that we could make sure that we reduced the maintenance and it was always you know, scalable at all time. We divided the solution in four major pieces that are more, but the four major pieces were uh, one, data ingestion. So we wanted to make sure that the data was getting into the platform so that it could be used. In this case, uh, for the proof of concept, we went directly in integration of fire data into S3 and Amazon S3 um, so that we could actually start using it on the transformations, etc. But then we left the architecture open enough so that in the future there could be options to use data from bedside devices, uh, lab data, or even the HR systems once the integration was would be completed on, on production. The second component would be uh, the data lake. I mean, here again, we used also Amazon S3 as central storage. We were trying to make it as simple as possible so that we could actually, you know, move fast also on the delivery of the prototype. The third part would be the transformations. And, and this is a, an important part because the way we envisioned the platform was to be able to run different algorithms at the same time. You should be able to use the same data for different algorithms and look at sepsis, look at acute kidneys and any other illnesses, diseases that you wanted to find, you know, or detect as early as possible for the same patient at the same time. So for those transformations, once you have the data in the platform, you want to make sure that you adapt the data so that each model, which could be built for by different institutions, different researchers, would be using the same data set in different ways. For that, we used AWS Glue Jobs and AWS Glue Workflows so that this could be developed by researchers and imported into platform. And then the fourth and the last part would be what we call the machine learning pipeline. You can also run deterministic algorithms, which is the case uh, of, of the algorithm that, that we worked with Ravi. Uh, but the idea was that the customers or the users would be able to go through their IT administrator and import different models from different institutions, you know, where they had their own data sets to train their own models. And then they would just build an Amazon SageMaker endpoint and import it through the platform, through the UI, so that they could start using the, the, the models for their patients as soon as possible. And that extensibility again, Ravi, so important for you as you look to bring this to the clinical setting and the ability maybe for that transparency of what kind of parameters and variables were going into the model for clinicians. Yes, and I think one of the things that when we worked with the AWS Envision Engineering team and as they were showing us the architecture, there were a few things which came up which were absolutely inessential to be, and that was one is to have the security aspects covered, both with respect to access to data and also the data coming into a secure environment, but also to envision that uh, whichever institution was going to utilize this 
there would already be layers put in place as to who has access to data and who doesn't and what are the credentials required for it and how to make that happen. So that was one element. I think the second element that you know was very helpful for me as a clinician to understand was that there was a central sort of segment of the platform where the administrator had the control for the platform to say what was coming in and what was going out, but also to be able to parse it so that the user and the clinician end could look at it and say, I want to see these things. The researcher could have access to data to continue to iterate the models itself. So when they presented it, there's a platform more in sense of saying, okay, there's a central administrator part of it, and then there's a clinician outward-facing, and then there's an inward-facing research element, which allows the platform to be utilized in more ways than one, so that it continue to evolve. And as Edward mentioned, one of the key things here was that we wanted to make sure that it would have the capacity to run more than one model, but also have the models able to interact so that you could have one model sequentially influence, inform the next model, or have two models running simultaneously because they were looking at data differently. So those were some of the things that we challenged them to, to put together so in and some of the terminology which came into this was obviously very new to me, but over the course now I've started to at least recognize the words. I don't necessarily understand what they mean, but I recognize them. Edward, we often talk in this podcast about the nature of experimentation, and this might resonate also with Ravi as being in this business as well, of really finding new ways of doing things, overcoming challenges, sometimes that are unexpected, sometimes that you maybe anticipated. Was there anything here? Not really surprising because we kind of face the same challenges when when we work with data, but obviously getting the data, especially for this type of data, we're talking about healthcare data, you know, patient data, it's always a challenge. We had to work our way through to be able to get a data set, even if it was a synthetic data set, to be able to be used on the on the platform. That's something that took time. We had to do some trainings, you know, be able to get the data, work, massage it, and make sure that we had what, what we needed for the PRC. That was one of the challenges. And then the second one is coming from the feedback. Once we started sharing, you know, what we were working on with different clinicians, with different teams, and everybody said, yeah, this is great, but are you going to build the models for us, right? Like, usually, that's one of the biggest challenges, you know, everybody has the idea, everybody knows, you know, what they want to get out of it, but making sure that you have a good model, you know, that it's properly trained, that it's properly with the, trained with the properly data and, and it has the, the right outputs, it's usually the biggest challenges for many institutions. And that's something that we faced as we started opening up on the work that we were doing with, with Ravi and UCSD. Ravi layering in that ability to kind of do that what-if scenario was sort of an element of that, right? Having the right data and being able to then ask key questions that may not have occurred from the clinician that may not have occurred maybe to the researcher. Well, yeah, I think, but the bigger question, I think this was a more, a further challenge. So as we went along this process was to saying, is okay, well, if you've got this 
really um, very well architected uh, setup. But as a clinician, what I want to be able to do is, if I'm going to use this as a clinical decision support system, I want to be able to understand the data with probabilities and be able to understand is what happens if I tweak the inputs to change the probability too. So we asked them to say, can you build in an opportunity for the clinician to do a what-if scenario? And that's important because essentially when you're presented with a probability which you may or may not use to make an intervention or make a decision for the patient, you want to be sure that that is going to be the right way. But also more importantly, you want to know is that if I tweak the model, what would happen? Because that helps you guide the thing. Is So in our case, our model is fairly transparent and fairly straightforward. So you could see if you changed one aspect of the model, what would happen downstream on the probabilities. And that, I think, is the biggest challenge in this field is essentially saying is we've got a ton of predictive analytics. You know, I can predict this, I can predict that. But actually to make those actionable in terms of what you do with that information and make that transfer from knowledge to action, it requires the step up to prescriptive analytics and then to personalized care. And I think that's what one of the challenges we put to Edward and his team is, okay, give us this. But then I also want to know alongside that if you give me this data, what is the confidence intervals between each of those points? So they had to go back in and reprogram some of it with respect to the statistical aspects of saying, is okay, you've got all this input coming in. How confident are you that it will give you the same probabilities? And where are we now, Ravi? So this is a proof of concept trying to determine whether something was achievable or not. What's the next step in your journey here? We are looking to see how we can build this next steps in terms of sending it into UCSD, in terms of how to implement it there. But also separately, I use the information from this to apply for an NSF uh, SBIR grant. So I submitted a pitch and now I'm going to be invited to submit an SBIR grant, which will be due in a couple of months. And in the meanwhile, I've still had uh, continued to have interaction with the AWS team. We've been very kind enough to continue to build on the project and provide guidance and support for it. It's still a proof of concept, but I think as we iterate, we are closer and closer, and hopefully we'll get to see it in deployment in the near future. So just as a final reflections, Edward, you do a lot of prototypes over the course of your year here. Can you tell us a little bit about what your key takeaways from this particular experience were and what you would share with listeners? This is a prototype, right? But um, we want to make sure that this is also integrated in its own ecosystem, right? We want to make sure that the prototype, once we have been able to prove that it's doable, we want to make sure that it's able to launch in production. And, and looking at the complex ecosystem of healthcare and all the integrations with EHRs, alarm system, or any third-party uh, hospital systems. That's something that it needs to be taken care of as soon as possible as you start working on the prototype. So that would be one thing. And the second one would be being able to get constant feedback from Ravi and, and the team, being able to demonstrate every week the work that we did being able to ask questions and tweak every week, you know, the idea that we initially had. And as we keep developing, we keep iterating and we keep pivoting a little bit to make sure that we deliver what's useful for running his team. It's something that it's it's been key for us to be able to be close to them and to deliver the prototype. How about you, Ravi? What were some of the reflections that you had? 
Well, I think the first sort of thing was the fact that innovation now is not a solo endeavor. It's a, a team collaborative approach and finding the right set of people to work with is crucial for that part. But then the second aspect of that is also when you do find those people is having the opportunity to think outside the box without any constraints and push them up, push your thoughts out there, which was what I found was the most educational aspect. And then it's a constant learning on both sides because none of us necessarily knows all aspects of this as we go along. So I found that that was one of the most refreshing aspects of the thing. I came away with a much better understanding of how the architecture has to fit with what you need, but there are constraints and you have to work around them. So it's a, it's an ongoing process. And I think we are still just at the starting phase with the proof of concept, but to actually get it out there is a whole new set of new learning that'll have to happen and hopefully with the right partners. Well, Ravi and Edward, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. And Ravi, thank you for the work you and your team are doing to bring personalized care, make it a reality, and to ultimately save lives, hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you.